and welcome to Second Sunday Books. This is um, my second show in September, but I really wanted to do this because of a very special guest who is here. His name is Thomas Mayer, and you may know him. He's an award-winning author, journalist, and television producer. His book, Masters of Sex, was the basis for the Emmy-winning Showtime drama that ran for four seasons. And other books he's written include When Lions Roar, which is about the Churchills and the Kennedys, uh, The Kennedys, America's Emerald Kings, New House, All the Glitter, Power, and Glory of America's Richest Media Empire and the Secret of Man Behind It. He doesn't believe in, in small titles. Um, uh, let's see, which was the winner of the Frank Luther Mott Award as Best Media Book of the Year. He has worked as an investigative reporter for Newsday for over 30 years, and um, he's highly successful. And his most recent book, well, the one that came out in April, because I just learned he had a new one, he has a new one out, which we'll talk about later, is called Mafia Spies. It's the definitive account of America's most remarkable espionage plots ever, with CIA agents, mob hitmen, compromise, sex, Presidential indiscretion and James Bond-like killing devices together in a top-secret mystery full of surprise twists and de deadly intrigue. In the early 1960s, two top gangsters, Johnny Roselli and Sam Giancana, were hired by the CIA to kill Fidel Castro, only to wind up murdered themselves amidst congressional hearings and a national debate about the JFK assassination. Welcome, Thomas. I'm so glad. Hello, Libby. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I, I was delighted to, I was lucky enough to read an early copy of it, it, it last uh, winter, and I was just totally impressed. Uh, before we get to questions, I just need to say that um, Second Sunday Books is owned and copyrighted by the Authors on the Air Network, which is solely responsible for its content. Okay. Now, as you cite in the book, the, um, there were some JFK files that were released in 2017 and part of 2018. Did you know ahead of time that you were going to read them? In other words, had you started working on Mafia Spies before the files came out? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, actually, I used to work as a reporter in Chicago at the Chicago Sun-Times, and I was aware of Sam Giancana, who was one of the two protagonists in this book. And yes, so I thought, I thought of doing a book about Giancana as long as 10 years ago. But then, you know, what happens is when, uh, I'm sure, Libby, you know this as well, is writing, uh, sometimes projects come to the front of the burner, if you will, so I wound up doing a book about uh, Churchill's and the Kennedys uh, instead, and I kind of put that off on the side. And later on, it, it occurred to me that um, the story was much better told through the buddy, uh, almost like a buddy movie, of the uh, Giancana and his friendship with this other gangster, Johnny Roselli. Uh, and that kind of occurred to me only a few years ago. And it was around that time period that I became aware that the JFK papers would be uh, hopefully uh, made available. And they were, and they actually informed a, a lot of the book. Hmm. What were the major findings 
that you got out of those files? Well, one of the major things about um, uh, from the files is this war, undeclared war, that was basically run out of Florida by the CIA uh, starting in about 1960. And it went on for a number of years, primarily during the Kennedy time period. And um, those, uh, those files that were recent, re- recently released, they provided a lot of the detail that really made that come alive. And one of the d- details was actually, for instance, finding out the case number uh, of, uh, of Johnny Roselli, that he actually had a, 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 a number assigned to him in the CIA files, things like that, uh, little details, but, but in aggregate, it helped make come alive uh, this war that w- w- took place uh, in, a, in Florida uh, that really most Americans, I don't think, had any idea was going on. No, I, I would assume not. Now, do you, would the C, you think the CIA considered Roselli and Giancana assets, or I mean, they certainly weren't useful idiots, but they were assets, or they were kind of freelancing with the CIA? Yeah, right? that's exactly that's precisely the term that the CIA used that they were assets. That, right. in other words, um, the decision was made late in the Eisenhower administration that. Uh, that with the rise of Castro in Cuba and the fact that he emerged as a declared communist, uh, and there was a question about exactly who was Castro and was he a socialist, was he a communist, uh, but the fact that, uh, that Cuba would now become this communist satellite uh, was very alarming to the United States back then during the Cold War. Bear in mind, Russia, the Soviet Union, had uh, just developed the Sputnik satellite. They were the first in outer space. And so there was a lot of concern, not only about this satellite up in space, but that Cuba would be this political satellite and that somehow it would spread communism in Latin America. So Castro was something that was... uh, uh, a, a great cons- of great concern to the CIA, and they wanted to eliminate him. And to do so, the CIA wanted uh, kind of a middleman, if you will. And the fact that these two mobsters were willing to do this was uh, is what made them into assets for the CIA. But now, are you talking before or after the Bay of Pigs? Because the Bay of Pigs, they used all of the exiles to go back into right. Cuba. Yes, this is before the Bay of Pigs. Um, it's um, it started uh, around uh, early 1960, the last year of right. the Eisenhower administration, and you know it, it, these type of uh, operations, this particular operation, there was a lot of deniability, if you will, and uh, it wasn't until 2007 that the CIA actually admitted that uh, the, its former director, Alan Dulles, had approved of this plan. Um, mm-hmm. There's other type of documents uh, that indicate that um, this was known at the highest levels as well. Huh. Now, let me ask you, it, it's kind of a process question, but it's, but it's also, um, I'm just curious, 
besides the file um, that you, you found these details in, and besides the secondary sources that, I mean, there have been a lot of books that have rumored the same thing prior to yours. What, I know you are a meticulous researcher. What sources did you need to verify um, what's already said? It, what did you verify what's already been said in, in, in the public domain, for lack of a better uh, expression? How did you decide what needed further verification and what didn't? And how did you, uh, how did you go about doing that? Well, primarily, uh, um, aside from the, uh, the, the voluminous records that were released in the last few years, uh, part of the JFK assassination, and a lot of that had to do with the CIA's campaign uh, against Castro in, uh, in Cuba. But in addition to that, this, this whole conspiracy uh, involving the two gangsters, uh, that took place in the early 60s, but it did not become known until about the mid-70s. There were a series of of scandals involving the CIA, and there were congressional hearings that took yes. place. And yes. in fact, Roselli actually testified at yes. one of them, and, and Sam Giancana was supposed to uh, testify, but he was murdered before he actually uh, was, uh, was able to do so. Uh, and it was that testimony from the 70s that was also a big uh, uh, you know, a big help in doing the research for this book. I think what's most important, uh, and where my I think my book really helps the average reader, is that a lot of the histories about this time period are told as histories. They're told uh, in a kind of a uh, like a reporting type of way. And what I wanted to do was try to use the two gangsters as kind of the focal point for where all these different worlds merge together. And I felt that it would be a, a really understandable for the reader if you're following these two individuals. Uh, it would certainly help people understand all these different things that were going on. I think that's the big difference um, between my book and a lot of books that have touched on, this, uh, touched on these subjects, even books that have talked about it in detail. Um, I think the fact that my book, to some extent, is a dual biography of these two characters, you're able to kind of like follow them as the, as the bouncing ball, if you will, uh, through, the, uh, through this whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, the rumor um, that I always heard, and this is on a, we, we will get to exactly what these two characters did in a moment. Um, but I just want to ask you one more question. Is that Giancana and Roselli were both in on the JFK assassination plot, or at least knew about it and condoned it. But there, Carlos Marcello of New Orleans was also supposed to be in on it. And um, uh, what's his name? Traficante might have been. Um, why do you think they were not murdered and the and uh, Roselli and Giancana were? Well, you know, when it comes to the JFK assassination, um, I know enough as an investigative reporter to know, generally speaking, uh, that if you don't solve a murder within the first 72 hours, it's going to be very, very difficult. 
difficult for any type of investigators to solve it. And I did not attempt, uh, nor am I suggesting that uh, any type of solution to the JFK murder. I don't know. I don't think anybody uh, knows for sure. Certainly not anybody uh, who's alive uh, knows uh, any definitive answer to any type of possible uh, conspiracy with the JFK assassination. What was fascinating to me was that Roselli uses the JFK assassination to uh, he basically what he he was a uh, he was an illegal immigrant to this country. He actually had an alias. Johnny Roselli was not his real name, and he mm-hmm. lived in fear that he would be found out and deported. Uh, because of his criminal activity, out of the country. And there were other mobsters who had been deported. And he, his fear was realized when the FBI, after much investigation of him, realized his secret identity. And they were going in to deport him. And so towards the end of the book, what uh, Roselli does is says, I'll not only testify about what I did for the CIA in trying to kill Castro, but he, he and his lawyer kind of suggest that they know more about uh, the background of the JFK assassination and that he'd be willing to share that information. But it was all part of trying to stay in this country and not be deported. So I thought it was kind of interesting the way he kind of played on the, on the paranoia, frankly, and, and the, conspiracy, the conspiracy theories that were being bandied about in the 1970s about JFK's murder. So I, but I, this book does not offer any clear-cut idea of who killed JFK. It's, it's not, it was more how Johnny used that, that uh, Johnny Roselli used that type of uh, concern and conspiracies uh, about JFK's murder to try to do it for his own advantage. Right. I also read that he played up what a patriot he was and how much he loved this country and, and stuff like that in other places. Is that what you uh, you talk about too? I know you you put at one point you put patriot in quotes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what he said. I mean, that's it, it's not. Uh, I put that in quotes because that was the term that was used. Not so much that I'm you know um, casting aspersions on on that. He he definitely you know he was a, a first generation. He was an immigrant here, and he had he even though despite his uh, his illegal mm-hmm. status, as it turns out here, he actually felt that um, that America had given him a lot, uh, even though it was through this life of crime of his. There were he was very successful in his own way. He was a big figure in Hollywood. He knew a number of different uh, characters in Hollywood. He married an actress that, for a time period. He dated a lot of well-known actresses and such. Uh, and then he went on to Las Vegas, and he was the key figure, a key figure for the the mafia in in Las Vegas as well. So he 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 felt that he owed America a lot, and that um, and it, it, he kind of convinced the CIA handlers. Uh, one one man in particular, a guy named William Harvey, who was kind of known as the uh, James Bond of the CIA, not so much because he looked like James Bond, but, but that he had that kind of daring do. And, and William Harvey was very impressed by Roselli's patriotism and his willingness to go out there on pretty dangerous missions. 
trying to help their this the secret war against Castro and Cuba. So, so how did those two guys get recruited? And was it Harvey that recruited them, or did it come from higher up? How in the world did they decide? <laughs> well, to, uh, there was a uh, another man named Robert Mayhew, and yes. he was known as a cutout. And a cutout is a person who's a buffer for the CIA, a middleman, if you will, who will help them do uh, different things uh, in a way that the CIA couldn't do directly for whatever reasons. And Robert May worked for a, a really wealthy man, very wealthy man, named Howard Hughes. And um, anyway, it was Mayu who knew Johnny Roselli. And the CIA was introduced to Roselli through Robert Mayu. And then Roselli from there uh, uh, recruited uh, his boss, who was Sam Giancana, the top mobster in Chicago at that time. And they had, again, Giancana and Roselli were friends for many years. Uh, and um, so the idea of doing a favor for the government by killing Castro somebody they already hated because the mob had been thrown out of Cuba when Castro uh, came to power and the mob ran casinos that were very lucrative back then. So to get thrown out of Havana, they already wanted to kill Castro, but the fact that the, the government now wanted them to do it was kind of like an official sanction to try to assassinate Castro. Right. Now, um, it's so funny. That's what my Havana lost is, is, is about, is when the mafia got kicked out. Um, did um, Meyer Lansky's name ever come into the situation? Because he certainly wanted to get rid of Castro. Well, he sure does. I mean, there's a number of figures that are kind of like in the background, certainly, of this. Uh, and just because there are so many characters in my book who are primary characters, I don't, I don't, pay as much attention to a character like Meyer Lansky, even though he obviously was a big figure in the mob in both Cuba and in uh, Florida. I do mention him, but uh, it's uh, the bigger figure in this is a guy named Santo Traficante, uh, who was fundamentally out of Tampa, but he also worked out of Miami, and he was a Spanish-speaking uh, mobster who uh, was essentially the point man for the mafia in Havana during the 50s and up, up until they were thrown out by Castro. And Traficante was a major figure in helping these two gangsters in the plot to kill Castro. Exactly whether or not Traficante was on the side of these two gangsters or whether or not he was a double agent working for Castro it's still not very clear today, but there's uh, some of these new documents kind of point to the, the, the suggestion that Traficante was a double agent, that he was uh, playing both sides against the middle. In other words, that he was helping the gangsters on one side, but that perhaps uh, he was also in league with people who were helping Castro. Interesting. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. I did not know that about Traficante. Um, <clears throat> not at all. So tell us how 
the various plots unfolded and basically why did none of them succeed? Well, you know, just uh, as I was saying, uh, it occurred to uh, William Harvey, the the so-called James Bond of the CIA. He was appointed to oversee the attempts to kill Castro in Florida by somewhere around 61, I believe it was. Uh, and he would he got very actively involved with Johnny Roselli and such. But given the failures, it's almost like whack-a-mole, you know, that game whack-a-mole where you try to uh, hit the, 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 uh, the mole at, at one point and then suddenly it pops up another place. Uh, and, uh, and for the CIA, it's amazing how many attempts there were to kill Castro, and yet they, uh, Castro wound up dying as an old man in his bed only a few years ago. So, uh, so when I look at it from a historical standpoint, um, it looks as if uh, Castro had a number of sources in Florida. He had, he, when Castro came to power, he was taught how to set up a spy system by the Soviets. The Soviets were really the masters. Even Winston Churchill would acknowledge that, you know, dating back to World War One and even before then, that the Soviets were really masters at the art of spycraft, and they they helped Castro set up his own spy system, not only in Cuba, but also, uh, as it turns out, there were a number of different double agents living in Florida who provided information to Castro. So I, there are often scenes, there was one particular scene uh, in the book in which Johnny Roselli goes out in a boat leaving Florida with a number of exi- Cuban exiles, and they're going to go in the middle of the night uh, on, a, uh, on a mission to help uh, attempt to try to kill Castro or, you know, certainly to attack certain things. And uh, they're met, uh, as soon as they get to the shoreline, they're met by uh, Castro's forces and as if they had already been tipped off. And um, there's a scene in the book in which they actually shoot out uh, kind of like the bottom of, of one of the uh, boats that Roselli's in, and he has to jump into another boat. And this was um, this was all recounted in a Jack Anderson column that was written based upon an interview with Roselli later on in the 70s. But um, you know, to the extent that I could see these other documents by the CIA, you could see that there was a pretty active campaign run out of. Florida. Uh, in fact, they had a facility right near the Miami Zoo, uh, and uh, the CIA was running this war. And to me, that it was really fascinating uh, the way in which Castro was able to uh, be tipped off in advance to a number of different things, including the Bay of Pigs. And Harvey realized that he, although he trusted Roselli as a patriot, that somehow it looks like there were people that uh, were leaking information. And he could never put his finger on it, but he, he definitely suspected Traficanti. Okay, so given that they suspected that there were moles or, or um, double agents or whatever, you know, reporting back to Castro, why couldn't he have thought of something to outmaneuver them? 
Well, you know, uh, a couple of different reasons. Um, I think there was a certain ambivalence um, within the Kennedy administration, um, uh, and a very sharp ambivalence. In other words, on one side, there's evidence that even after the Bay of Pigs, uh, they still wanted to get Castro. They still wanted to depose him in some way. Um, and yet, uh, on another side, uh, after the Bay of Pigs, uh, particularly if you were following the press at the time, um, the Kennedy administration looked like they had backed off from any type of overt military venture against Castro. So I think there was a, there was a lot of conflicting messages. And then when JFK was assassinated, uh, Johnson, his uh, Lyndon Johnson, who became president and succeeded JFK, he essentially pulls out of the whole Cuba venture uh, and focuses his attention, his anti-communism fervor on Vietnam. Vietnam grows in in, in importance uh, rapidly after the death of JFK, and the Cuba uh, expedition kind of dies on the vine. That's really interesting. I never kind of connected those two, Castro to Vietnam, but you're absolutely right. It makes total sense for Johnson. Um, okay, the book description says that this was America's first foray into the assassination uh, business, a tale with yes. sound impact for today's Trump era. So let's take it one clause at a time. First, do you really believe it was the first foray into the assassination business? I mean, my <laughs> well, I, I uh, modify it in the book by saying first known uh, assassination. Uh, you know, uh, perhaps there were others, but not where it was state sanctioned in such a provable way. As I mentioned before, uh, in 2007, it took almost 50 years for the uh, 40, 50 years for the CIA to finally acknowledge that its director had sanctioned this, uh, this assassination conspiracy against Castro, that, you know, that Alan Dulles had okayed the plan. And um, so, yes, I do think that this is the first and known documented conspiracy. They've, the CIA has acknowledged this conspiracy theory, and, 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 and I'm very careful uh, in my book not to go off of uh, you know, with other theories or suppositions that I couldn't back up. There's a ton of footnotes in my book. And, you know, I, I'm very careful about trying to stay within the known facts. I'm not necessarily discounting other theories that people talk about or whatever. But as far as I'm concerned, I only wanted to write a book where I had uh, a documentable evidence. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the um, profound impact on today's Trump era. How does your how does mafia spies contribute to that? Well, I think this whole question about state-sanctioned assassination, we're seeing that really with the rise of Putin. Um, there's been a number of political assassinations in the Ukraine, for instance, that have been attributed to the to the Russians. Um, we certainly saw that with uh, what happened with uh, the Washington Post journalist Khashoggi, who was murdered. 
Um, and um, I, I guess the other question has been, since 9-11, there's been a somewhat of a debate about whether or not if you were able to assassinate uh, somebody like Osama bin Laden, um, would that be an appropriate uh, method of statecraft is it is that is that something that we want to be in the business of doing um, and so after uh, the, the 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 congressional hearings of the 70s about in which the CIA's plan to kill Castro became known then President Ford issued a restrictions and a, a ban on political assassination by the United States and um, that has been that still is in effect, but there is a as the world becomes even more complex, as people have debated, even people who uh, are quote liberals who have said, uh, "Geez, if we could have killed Hitler uh, uh, in in advance, would that have saved the lives of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people?" Um, so I think. In today's atmosphere, uh, particularly in this Trump era, where things are pretty loosey goosey, um, there's uh, I think there's more concern about. It seems to me that there is a convergence in the dark corners of the world between intelligence community, whether it's FBI and CIA and the mafia, and even the Mossad and even GRU, the Russians. And sometimes people are working together and sometimes they're all working against each other. I mean, these institutions. And I'm wondering if, um, and it makes it very confusing and I guess, um, as you say, very complicated. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's the reason why I think in Mafia Spies, what I realized is that by using two individuals, kind of a buddy movie, if you will, kind of the, the idea mm-hmm. of these two characters, Giancana and Roselli. And they're very different men. Uh, even like their view of women is very different, uh, for example. Uh, but but the, these two friends, and they kind of travel through this adventure, for lack of a better term, over about 15 years. And the consequences for them, the consequences for the country. I think it also plays off of this American uh, paranoia about conspiracies and things of things of that nature. The way in which Roselli kind of uses it for his own advantage to to avoid being deported out of the out of the country. That to me was very amusing, almost uh, in in a, in a sense. So I, I definitely want to represent. Um, uh, America during this time period. Uh, all of my books really have been about America in our time period, you know, in our lifetimes, and um, I, it's also a lot about our our obsession in America with violence. There's all different types of violence in this. There's mob violence. These, you know, the the psychotic killers of a of a mobster like Giancana, or uh, state sanctioned. Uh, uh, assassination attempts and even undeclared war that's run yeah. out of Florida and people aren't even aware of it. So uh, violence and our obsession with violence, unfortunately, uh, is a big part of the palette, if you will, of this book. Right. So uh, the $64 million question is why were Roselli and Giancana murdered? 
Well, well you know, th- both those murders remain unsolved. Uh, essentially, both were going to uh, be testifying before the Senate uh, about different aspects of what they knew uh, when they were murdered. In the case of Gene Connor, who was murdered first, he was about he was uh, he was about to testify before the Senate about the Castro uh, assassination attempts, and he was killed at his home. Uh, there were six bullets put in in his mouth, essentially, and it was a it was a uh, it was a symbol or it was a warning, if you will, for others to keep their mouths shut. Uh, right. And he was found in his home. Roselli was killed about a year later, uh, and he had testified about the Castro uh, affair, uh, but he, he did so in a very circumspect way. He didn't give a lot of details, but he did acknowledge certain things. But then when he uh, looked like he was going to be deported, his lawyer floated that he may know more about the JFK assassination. And that kind of made sense to investigators, uh, congressional investigators at the time, because of this whole question about uh, Cuba and the fact that the Warren Commission that investigated JFK's murder were never told by Alan Dulles, who was on the Warren Commission, that JFK had uh, basically had this whole war uh, against Castro. And, And Dulles never told the Warren Commission that there had been a CIA conspiracy to kill Castro, and and Castro had actually warned about consequences. Uh, Yeah, he actually told the press before JFK's death that there would be consequences for these attempts to try to kill him. And so all of that information was not uh, considered by the Warren Commission. So 10 years later, in the 70s, there was a lot of concern about what may have been involved, what, what, what the uh, Cuban involvement may have been uh, with Kennedy's death, if, if at all. And, but there was a lot of effort in that way, and the fact that Roselli had connections to the, to the, uh, the, uh, the Cuban exiles and um, that they felt that he may indeed know something. And that's, it was at that time period where he was murdered uh, in Florida. So do you think they might have been murdered by different forces or different institutions for different reasons? Well, I, no, I, you know, I don't know is on one level. It's like I said, it's an unsolved murder. But I do think a lot of the evidence points to Traficanti. Um, mm-hmm. Traficanti uh, looks like he murdered uh, somebody in New York early on in my book, and I talk about that. But um, one of the things that I discovered uh, with the with the um, the murder of of uh, Giancana was that um, the whoever murdered Giancana threw away the murder gun uh, apparently out of an open car window must have heard the cops coming or whatever and they found the gun and that gun uh, was traceable back to a neighborhood in uh, Tampa that Traficanti controlled. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a telling clue yeah. there. Uh, and, and in the case of, of Roselli, uh, Roselli actually went to dinner with Traficanti about two weeks before he was murdered. And apparently he was pleading for his life. He knew that Traf- uh, 
Roselli knew that he was a marked man and that the other mobsters were upset about what had happened. And uh, there was also apparently Roselli had provided some evidence to the feds about some other mobsters. And uh, he thought that would never come out, but somehow that was leaked. So it looks as if the mob felt that Roselli had been a rat, if you will, to use the term of uh, that's been used lately, uh, and that's uh, th- that's the reason why he got killed. But it, when you look at the the, the case uh, and the investigative notes and such, it looks as if Traficanti uh, may have indeed had something to do with the murder of both men. That's what. Uh, yep, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying there, Mr. Mayor. I have a few more questions if you have the time to hang on just for a few more minutes. Sure, of course. Um, what percentage of your research was primary versus secondary, and what are you most proud of digging up? Well, um, I would say about 50 50 uh, between, um, you know, the vast majority of histories and, and uh, newspaper clippings and such that, that have been previously published. Uh, In terms of primary sources, um, the testimony of people like Johnny Roselli, uh, of others, um, Traficanti actually uh, testified at some point, Um, Mm -hmm. and also these documents that have been released that were CIA documents, FBI documents, their voluminous files on both men, uh, particularly Giancana, the the, uh, FBI files of, of of uh, uh, even secondary characters like Frank Sinatra were all uh, were all primary documents that helped inform the book. The thing that I, I uh, there were a lot of little things. I guess the biggest thing that uh, I'm proud of is how I document uh, the war that took place down in Florida, being run by the CIA against Castro, and kind of the the way in which Castro's spies were able to infiltrate that. And I think that helps explain why Castro was able to survive all these various different CIA attempts to kill him. Um, I also think there's some uh, – one of the things that I thought was extraordinary was I found a, 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 an oral history that was given by a CIA uh, official who had been quoted in an earlier book – by the investigative uh, reporter, um, uh, what's his name? <laughs> She's from the New York Times. I was going to say Selwyn Rabb, but it's not that. Um, but he, uh, this particular oral history, the CIA official says that um, JFK, when he first came in, approved of uh, of an assassination capability. He wanted the CIA, in theory, to uh, set up the capability of being able to assassinate a foreign leader. Uh, I didn't find any other documents that support that contention, but I thought that was something that was really very yeah. startling that was said. So um, I don't overplay that by any means. I, it's stuck somewhere in the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. But it's things like that, the incremental findings that I think uh, other historians will be able to work on as 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 more documents come out, presumably. And 
aside from, <clears throat> pardon me, aside from actually solving the murders of um, Roselli and Gimana, uh what did you want to prove that you didn't? Or is still a question mark? Well, I always knew that there were limitations to the story. What I really wanted to do was uh, follow the life of these two characters, these two gangsters. As I mentioned, um, you know, the, 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 this was the height of the of the mafia in America when they when when all of this was taking place. Um, it only been a few years earlier that America came to the uh, realization that the mafia had a national commission that had met uh, in upstate New York, and that, that was a front-page story in the New York Times. And, and that was the late 50s. So when, when all of this was taking place, the mafia was at its height. Uh, somebody like Giancana was running a criminal operation, the size of which was comparable to something like General Motors, of some of the biggest companies in the, in the country at the time. So that, that kind of is fascinating to me, and how it inter, and how the mafia infiltrated, not only with the CIA, but po- the political field, the field of entertainment, the relationships of people like Frank Sinatra and JFK even with, uh, with Sinatra, um, and their, their, uh, their involvement, particularly uh, Sinatra's involvement uh, mm-hmm. with organized crime, and and how that um, uh, how that played itself out, um, and I, I think the fact by focusing on the two gangsters and kind of being the window into this very complex world, uh, I think it helps the reader understand a lot of things that are really hard to decipher in other histories. The fact that I'm following two human beings, two uh, two friends, two gangsters, uh, through this whole uh, merry-go-round of, of mayhem, uh, that uh, I thought it was a way uh, to tell a very complex story in an understandable way for people uh, who pick, would pick up this book. Mm-hmm. Um, the acclaim, not to mention the compensation for the Masters and Johnson series, must have changed your life in that you could probably, I don't know, tell me, can you now call the shots and control what you want to write about more than you could prior to that wonderful success? Well, it did open my eyes um, to, uh, there's nothing like a hit television series to, um for you to realize the the pervasiveness of television in our culture. I mean, I remember a few years ago, I was at the UN, I, I'm an investigative reporter, and I was asked to speak to a group of foreign journalists. And there was a young woman in the group uh, who was from China and had met, had talked about, uh, it was Hong Kong, and, and she had seen uh, Masters of Sex on television there, but also had a copy, there was a Chinese version, because of the TV show, there was a Chinese version of my book, Masters of Sex. So, uh, you know, I I realized that we live in a television world. And so it has made a a difference in some of the selections. Uh, In this particular case of Mafia Spies, I went to lunch with a fellow uh, named Peter Roth, uh, who was the head of Warner Brothers. And... um, 
and I, he asked me, what, what are you thinking of doing next? And I told him the story of these two gangsters hired by the CIA to kill Castro. And essentially, uh, they, he bought the option for that. I first wrote a television treatment for it. And then I sat down and, and did the book. Um, so um, it, it has defined some of the things, uh, some of the projects that I go after. But still, basically, my writing career has been about America in our times. Uh, various mm-hmm. different aspects of it. And so Mafia Spies was really my attempt to uh, talk about violence and all the very, in all of its various forms and uh, kind of these two flavors of the mafia and the CIA together, right. gangsters and spies. Right. Do you have any uh, desire to write about how the Italian mafia has been taken over by Mogilevich and the Russian mob? No, I you know I have to say I, I do with the exception of the Kennedys I do I have gone from one subject to the next subject I I don't like to repeat myself I did in the case of a book uh, about the Churchills and the Kennedys only because I realized um, that it had not been written about I had written a book about the Kennedys. Uh, that came out in 2003, but the book about the Churchills and the Kennedys came out in 2014. And the reason why I did that book was more of an opportunity to talk about Churchill's relationship uh, with the Kennedys in London prior to World War II. Generally speaking, I'd like to take a fresh, uh, take on a, a fresh topic, and uh, kind of go from new topic to new topic if I can. So oh, okay. One or two quick questions. Oswald, they, um, Harvey Os- Lee Harvey Oswald. There were rumors that he was a double agent, that when he was in Russia, he was working at a radio factory and that he could have been a double agent when he came back. Is there any credence to that that you can see? Does he figure into the assassination plots at any stage or in any way? Well, clearly Oswald is the only known assassin uh, involved with the JFK uh, murder, and so anything, anything that can be documented about uh, Oswald's travels prior to that murder uh, is important. Uh, but Mafia Spies really does not deal with Oswald, and I wouldn't suggest that I have any any particular insights about uh, about Oswald. So we know that some of the plumbers in the Nixon administration also worked for the CIA. Frank Sturgis, Howard Hunt, I think Martinez was another one. I forget the other, and there might've been one other one. And um, there is some speculation that they were also involved in anti-Castro um, attempts. Did they figure in to your, to your research or story at all? Yeah, I think they do. I think what's really important to understand uh, in reading Mafia Spies is that unlike the way some people in the press might portray Castro sympathetically, Castro was a despot. When you visit Cuba, as I did, uh, you realize this is a country that hasn't moved forward at all in 50 or 60 years, that it really is caught in the 1950s. It's like uh, a place caught in amber. And uh, he, he had his own firing squads. He, uh, he was a murderer. Uh, and so uh, there were a lot of people 
whose lives were ruined and, and tremendously affected because of Castro. Many of them landed in, in the Miami area. And so there was a great hatred of Castro and what had happened uh, in Cuba by Cuban exiles. And uh, there was a lot of anger about what happened with the Bay of Pigs and the fact that JFK appeared to be uh, supporting it and yet at the, a key moment uh, didn't provide the type of air cover that they felt yeah. would have been helped lead to the ouster of Castro. So among Cuban exiles, there was a great deal of disappointment with the Kennedys uh, that lingered for many, many years uh, because of what happened there. Um, one one final question about the Kennedys. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan, we never hear anything about him. Do you have any, have you ever come across any research or do you want to come across any research about who he was paid by to kill Bobby Kennedy? Yeah, I, you know, I've never really gone into uh, something like Sirhan Sirhan. I mean, generally speaking, my interest in the Kennedys, particularly in the first book that I wrote, was about how their Irish Catholic immigrant experience of the Kennedys in general, how it affected their public and private lives. So I thought that was really important that, in other words, the Kennedys to me was not a Camelot story as, as often portrayed in the press. It's really the story of immigration in this country. And se uh, the second book that I did uh, involving the Churchills and the Kennedys, that was more about the relationship between the two families. So I've never attempted to, quote-unquote, solve uh, any assassination attempt uh, uh, against the Kennedys. I, 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 I think it's kind of a, a fool's errand to some extent to try to do that at this stage. Maybe somebody can do it, but uh, it's not me. I, I felt that to stay within the range and the, to stay within the realm of provable, documentable facts, which I think is really important these days, um, I wanted to make sure that mafia spies stayed uh, with documents that, I, that, that are recognized as the basis for any type of grounded history. And, but I did want to write an entertaining book as well about these two mobsters. And I think the information that I found that it, it had accumulated over 50 years or so provided that opportunity. You say that America in our times is the backdrop for your biographies, but you've just come out with a new book that moves into this century. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. My uh, book, my book called All That Glitters, is uh, fundamentally about Anna Wintour and Tina Brown uh, and the Condé Nast media empire and how it kind of helped uh, the, the, the rise of, of Donald Trump and, uh, and also Harvey Weinstein, uh, the Hollywood producer that's been part of these sex scandals of recent years. And um, this book, All That Glitters, is a sequel or kind of a rewrite of a book that my first book about the Newhouse media empire that dealt with also it, it came out in 1994 and it was called Newhouse that book this book takes a portion of that uh, and updates it and really changes the focus from Newhouse uh, to these two women Tina Brown and Anna Wintour and, and follows them 
as they come from Britain, as young women, very talented editors uh, and uh, in the 1980s. And it follows them all the way to today. And one of the things I show in All That Glitters is how Newhouse, uh, through his best friend, Roy Cohn, who was a, uh, a notorious lawyer, he had been involved in the, uh, the Senator uh, Joseph McCarthy hearings. He was also a mob lawyer, and he also happened to be a lawyer for Donald Trump in yeah. the 70s and the 80s. Uh, Roy, uh, it was uh, Cy Newhouse who published The Art of the Deal, which was the, uh, the memoir by Donald Trump that helped bring him to national attention, really was made him uh, go from a, being a local New York real estate developer into a, uh, a national figure. And uh, the Newhouse organization, the Condé, the Condé Nast magazines that Newhouse owns, they were the place where Anna Wintour worked for one of their magazines. Uh, she's still the, the uh, Overseas Vogue magazine. And also, uh, Tina Brown was the editor for Vanity Fair and later on The New Yorker. And so I felt that following these two women and their path uh, would be a really interesting way of updating this story, this book from 25 years ago. And it's something that also... Uh, I have a TV project attached to that hopefully will see the light of day in a not-too-distant future. That's fabulous. Well, um, this has just been a fascinating interview, Thomas, and thank you for spending so much time with us. It's a, it's a rare, un- amazing story, and it is perfect to educate the uh, generations that have come since us that really this is probably all new to them. And I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, you know, they teach U.S. history in high school, but by the time they get to 20th century post-World War II history, it's May, it's time for exams, and they rush through all of this history. And here you have given us an opportunity to really go back and see what really happened. Um, and I hope everyone who's listening will take advantage and tell all of your friends who are are uh, students of history to listen to this. And thank you again. You, it was just wonderful. And I wish you all sorts of luck, but I don't think you need it from me at this point. You've been terrifically successful. Thanks again for all your support. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. My pleasure. And uh, all of those who've been listening to Second Sunday, Sunday Books, Please tune in again next month. We will have another guest. This is Libby Thomas, and I'm signing out now. 